0: The United States is one of the richest countries on the planet. Not the richest anymore, but one of the richest countries on the planet. And though it is not the richest country, it has the highest suicide rate of any wealthy nation. On average, on average there are 123 suicides per day. In 2018, there were 49,000 Americans who committed suicide. Guess how many tried? 1.4 million. Even among the wealthy and those who seemingly have it all, suicide is a problem. Think recently about famous people like Kate Spade. Anthony Bourdain, I mean, you know, traveling the world, having a TV show, getting to eat food everywhere and do all the self-indulgence. Wasn't enough. Why? Well, depression ranks high. Why? Ultimately, the loss of hope. You might, you might have even said things like this. I just can't take it anymore can't do this anymore there must be more than this this is not enough nothing here really matters really helps really satisfied and for the wealthy I have it all like Ted Turner but it's an empty bag Solomon agrees but he points us to a much better solution than suicide we'll see as we go through the book we certainly see at the end of the book we've seen that but the solution, Solomon, he's showing us the emptiness of things. He's shaking us by the shoulder to have us not set our hope here, but have our hopes and hearts set on God and our focus on a God-centered life. See, we started the book in verses 1, 1, and 2, and then the first, and the end of the book, the book ends to show that, you know, nothing here can sustain our satisfaction, so live for God, keep His commandments. Everything will come to judgment and there's hope beyond this life. And then we look nothing new under the sun and we saw a very important question. What does, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? We have another answer to that today. That question. Last time we saw the vanity of wisdom just for wisdom itself, wisdom under the sun, being the wisest person in the world, knowing how to take knowledge and use it and, and, and make things work in and of itself, it's empty and a puff, Whew, vanity. You know, that word that goes all throughout this book that we saw in chapter one, verse two, what many people think of when they hear Ecclesiastes is vanity of vanities, all is Vanity. And some say meaningless or worthless. It's just temporary. It's just a puff. This this life goes by fast. Faster for some than others. Some die young. Some die what we call old. It's all a... And in and of itself, it can't sustain us. This week, we're going to look at the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Some of you who are older will hear that. That was an old TV show. But really, the title is The Emptiness of Self-Indulgence the emptiness of self-indulgence, the emptiness of me trying to focus life on me, even if we try to use God to do it. And the main thing I want us to see as we see Solomon's conclusion, praise God, I won't leave you there, that there's nothing to be gained. In our application, we'll challenge ourselves to look up and find gain in God, in Christ. But the main point is this. This is the testimony of many earthly people who've gained it all. This is the testimony of Solomon who had more than anybody else. This is the testimony of therefore the Word of God. This is what God is trying to get through to us. The main point, pleasure, possessions, and power will ultimately leave you empty if you hope in them. Nothing wrong with pleasure, nothing wrong with possessions, nothing wrong with power, even if God gives it. But our hope is never to be in them. Pleasure, possessions, and power will ultimately leave you empty if you hope in them. Therefore, you could say, treasure God and live for His glory. Solomon is going to tell us of the way that he tested himself and he had the means to do anything he wanted to. Those are the conclusions that He will drive us towards. Look at verses 1 and 3, the test of pleasure, 1, 2, and 3. He said, I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Let me me read this to you in a different translation. (coughs) Let me read it to you in the Net Bible. If you don't have that, you can get it. The app is free. I have the app on my iPad. You can get it. On your computer, you can read it online. But they do a lot of good work in translation as well as giving a lot of really good notes as to what the words are and why translate them this way. But listen to this. Uh, Let me read it in a different translation, which is the Net Bible. I thought to myself, come now, I will try self-indulgent pleasure to see if it is worthwhile, but I found that it also is futile. I said of partying. It is folly, and of self-indulgent pleasure it accomplishes nothing. I thought deeply about the effects of indulging myself with wine all the while. My mind was guiding me with wisdom and the effects of behaving foolishly so that I might discover what is profitable for people to do on earth during the few days of their lives. Solomon says... He's going, to, he's going to drill to the bottom of these things and see if it's really true that they don't satisfy. Look in verse, uh, it says here, I'm going to test you. He's talking to self. I said to myself, self, we ever, you ever hear that? I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And you saw it in the net translation, but this Hebrew word for pleasure can be used in a couple of ways. One of them is legitimate pleasure that God gives and to be used for His glory. The second one is sinful pleasure. And that's the one he has in view here. Just because Solomon ran these tests don't mean you get to run them and confirm his conclusions. We know that his heart was turned from God for a time. And he drilled down hard to find satisfaction here. And he could not find it. But that listen, in 1 Kings 11, I'm not going to turn there, but Solomon tested himself with pleasure and he had all the pleasure he could handle. The Word says in 1 Kings 11 that he disobeyed God. God had said not to marry foreign women, told him that they would turn his heart away. He didn't listen to that. See, that's what we do that, don't we? God's Word says don't do this and here's the outcome. We say, nope, I'm original, won't happen to me. We do it and well, eventually... There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Do you know that Solomon, I I have a hard time comprehending this, and I'm not going to get in trouble this morning. I'm just going to say what he did. 700 wives. 700 wives. One for each day for almost two years without seeing one twice. I mean, if that's how he did it. I'm talking about going to excess. On top of that, 300 concubines. Think harem. Yes, sinful indulgence, pleasure. Out the, what we say, out the wazoo. I mean, here in our text, he mentions having concubines. If, and, and we'll talk about this later, or maybe we won't. But in verse 8, you know, it says concubines there. But the King James says musical instruments, I think. And uh, there's some, really that Hebrew word in that context is, is one of the Hebrew words that the meaning is still kind of uncertain. Most translations are guessing at it. Uh, the newer translations seeming with better evidence, um, <laughs> translated concubines. But, but at any rate, 1 Kings 11 tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he wasn't satisfied. I'm sure Solomon had the, uh, a, a gathering of the most beautiful women on the planet. And he wasn't satisfied. He had all the lovers he wanted. He gave himself over to unbridled sensual intoxication. And what happened? They turned his heart away from the Lord. Don't worry, parents. That's as far down that talk as I'm going to go. I'm not having the talk with your kids for you. You will have to do that. Your responsibility. Unbridled physical intoxication didn't work. I mean, look what he said. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Self, enjoy yourself. And look what he says, but behold, this is vanity. I mean, after a while, it's just what you have. There's nothing new in it. Sorry, parents. Maybe I've got some of you in trouble already. But uh, now look what else he says. We'll move on. In verse 2, I said of laughter... Now that word for laughter is is used here in Ecclesiastes for self-indulgent banqueting, banqueting, drinking, frivolous partying, merrymaking. So it's not just comedy, laughing at a joke. This is is a partying. I'm going to try the partying lifestyle. Maybe that will satisfy me. Look, it was complete with live music. Later in the text, he says uh, in verse 8 that he had men and women singers. He had his own band. He had all of the drink. Look at verse 3. He said, I searched with my heart to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom, right? So he had the wine. He had the band. He had the women. He had every means of having the, the, the most banging parties around. Maybe the party will lifestyle will please me. I told y'all this in another sermon in this series that I, I came to that point. Being a lost man out in the world, going to the bars and seeking all that stuff and I can remember staring at the sign of that one particular bar before we went in and thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. This is not doing it for me. Solomon found that Self-indulgent, physical pleasure, partying, wine. I, I will pause one second because there's so much legalism in the church today. There's nothing wrong with wine. And it was real wine in the Bible that Jesus made at the wedding and all of this. Wine is not a problem. Our hearts are. Wine is a good gift from God. And if it's not abused, if you can use it rightly the way it was intended, it's not a problem. What the sin is is drunkenness. Right. So he didn't sin by just drinking wine, but if you overindulged in it and tried to find in it his happiness, if he was medicating himself with it. It was a problem. But he said, none of this, look, none of it did it for him. My heart still got to me with wisdom how to lay hold on folly. See, he's laying hold on folly. Remember what folly is? Folly is opposite of wisdom. It's it's the opposite of following and honoring God. He's delving into self and sin and the flesh here. He said, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of his life. In other words, at that point, he's not trusting God to tell him what's good for life. He's going to mire up in it and see if he can find out what's good for life. And his conclusion was that it didn't satisfy. You heard it when I read it in verses 1 to 3 in the Net Bible. Listen, I'm going to take a minute, and then we'll move on. Some, even in the church, still live for the weekend. Still live for the party. Still live live for the chicks and dudes. And I know, maybe I'm talking mostly to young folks. Believe it or not, old people can get caught up in this too. Some in the church justify not just having a glass of wine, but drunkenness. Some justify sex outside of marriage. Some justify living together outside of marriage. And dot, dot, dot. You see where I'm going with that. Thinking that without them, they wouldn't be happy. That means these are idols in your life because God defines them as sinful and things that we must turn from. Repent from. They won't satisfy. We keep believing the lie. (laughs) This will satisfy me if I could just have this. This other spouse or this other. Solomon says it's all. It's above. It's here and it's gone. It can't sustain you. In fact, if it dishonors God, it's bad for you, even though it feels good for a while. He said it's mad. It's madness. It's useless. It's unsustaining. And the proof of that is you always need more if you're trying to find your happiness in it. Because it changes, it shifts, it moves. It's never always the same and reliable. Are you trusting in God and seeking to live for Him according to His word? Or have you believed the lie of the serpent and sat upon the throne of your life for yourself? Solomon says, it won't work out well. Well, that's the test of pleasure. I need to move on quickly. The test of possessions. Look in four, verse four. This is, you know, you see the shows on TV and maybe they're, they're, they're rappers who are rich or. Old rock stars who are rich or baseball players or football players who are rich. And we use that word rich, really surfacy. And we see these big houses and we see all these cars and we think, man, if I just had half of that, I would be happy. Look what Solomon did. He said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kind of fruit trees, orchards. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anybody who had been in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He had the mansions. He had the houses surrounded by the vineyards and the gardens and the orchards. I mean, you've seen the pictures of these things with pools and flowers and all sorts. You, you can't have that if you don't have people to tend to it. So he had servants. Listen, when you read slaves here, I've, I say this all the time because people need to hear it. This is not the kind of slavery that was in America. This is not the kind of slavery that we hate and wish had never happened. I mean, in that culture, a person could could willingly be a servant in in a king's house and live their lives and their children's lives that way. They could sell themselves into service for a while to pay off debts. And even in the Hebrew world, if they did have a slave, he was to work for six years or she was to work for six years and be set free on the seventh, were allowed to have property, all kinds of things. The kind of slavery we had in America was chattel slavery. It was a slavery where people were kidnapped and bought and sold. And if you read Exodus 21, 16, the people who kidnapped and sold them, and the people who bought them deserved the death penalty. That's how the Bible treats slavery that we're familiar with. It should have been death penalty for all involved. So don't come here and tell me the Bible justifies that kind of slavery. Because it does not. People will lie to you and tell you it does. But just read Exodus 21, 16 to them. And that'll be the answer. But he had mansions, he had houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, orchards, pools, servants, animals, more than anyone else. And if you read this this text carefully, what you see over and over is for me, I, my, and for myself. Like from verses 4 to 11, I think for myself is there eight times. I'm doing all this for myself, and I just have to keep doing more. So the mansions. How about the money? Look at verse 8. I had gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He not only had his own gold, he'd taken gold from other places. I told you he was, would have been a trillionaire instead of a billionaire. Talked about that last time. Second Chronicles uh, 115 says that silver now listen to this silver and gold were as common as stones in Jerusalem at the high point of Solomon's reign that's pretty wealthy that's pretty good trickle down silver and gold was as common as stones let me let me let me read to you again in in the net bible i'm just pointing you to different places so you He says in verse 4, I increased my possessions. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I designed royal gardens and parks for myself. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I constructed pools of water for myself to irrigate my grove of flourishing trees. I purchased male and female slaves and I owned slaves that were born in my house. I also possessed more livestock, both herds and flocks, than any of my predecessors In Jerusalem, now here you go, in verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself as well as valuable treasures taken from kingdoms and provinces. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself. Notice for myself, for myself. And what gives a man sensual delight? A harem of beautiful concubines. There's an old show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You probably, Robin Leach, I won't try to do his voice. It would end in disaster. Uh, that just brags on all these things and sets them before you and this, this lavish lifestyle is to be desired. Uh, there's a current one. I think it's on CNBC or something like that. Secret Lives of the Super Rich. Shows like Downton Abbey. I'm not criticalizing, criticalizing <laughs> criticizing. 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 Downton Abbey, but you know, just putting this in front of you as though this is the happy life. This is the life you should desire. This is the life that will make you happy. And you know what all of that is? Have you ever gone down to the beach and built a sandcastle near where the tide might come in? Tides come in, fullness of the earth. This is building sandcastles that the tides of life and time will wash away. They will not provide any lasting joy and hope and satisfaction for you here. Listen, there is nothing wrong with having houses. Even a big house, if you need that and God's provided it. There's nothing wrong with paying too much for cars. um, (laughs) There's nothing wrong with having nice cars and, you know, having people that work for you and having... In and Think about people like Abraham who were the wealthiest people around, Job. He was never criticized for that. But there's a lot wrong with that stuff having you. It's a lot wrong with you tying your happiness in things. Don't seek happiness in sandcastles. Because kids, you can build the most ornate sandcastle you want and stand back and be so proud of that thing. And then you go in your vacation house and you come out the next day and there might be a little lump of sand out there. Because it wasn't permanent. It was fun. It was cool. But it didn't last. Don't root your happiness in pleasure or possessions here. Finally, the test of power. Look at what he says in verses 9 and 10. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom, he's still thinking, he's not lost all control throughout here when it says that. right? My wisdom, remain with me now watch this whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found wisdom in my toil so there's temporary pleasure there in the journey mostly if you talk to people who have it they, they'll talk about the pleasure and the journey and the toil and this was my reward for all my toil he says I became great I became the greatest I am the greatest if you're old enough to remember Muhammad Ali he always said that I am the greatest you know what he was Nobody liked his mouth, but nobody could beat him until he just fought too long, until he lost his brains. But Solomon was the greatest. And you've heard things like power corrupts. It doesn't. Money doesn't corrupt. Power doesn't corrupt. It just shows you what's in there. It amplifies the corruption that's already there. Wicked paupers would be wicked rulers if they had the money. Nothing magical about money or education or stuff to change hearts. Solomon said, I've kept back no pleasure. I've had power to indulge. I've, I've, I've done so. I've found a little bit of temporary satisfaction in my work and we'll see later that you know, that's supposed to happen. We're supposed to enjoy our work. Just not you know, seek our, our complete satisfaction and lasting pleasure in it. Work is important. But he says, but that was as far as it went, and it was a temporary happiness and satisfaction for me and for everyone who's honest. I'll read you again from the Net Bible, that section. He said, I, I, uh, I was far wealthier than all my predecessors in Jerusalem, yet I maintained my objectivity. I did not restrain myself from getting what I wanted. See, he had the means, he had the opportunity. You know, he was a real estate salesman, car salesman's dream. He didn't have to make payments. You buy it. I did not, now watch this, I did not design myself, deny myself anything that would bring me pleasure. So all my accomplishments gave me joy. This was the reward for my effort. So there was some temporary joy there. But he comes to a conclusion of it all. The test of of pleasure, the test of partying, the test of possessions, the test of power. Look at his conclusion. And what he says in verse 11. Then I considered. Now see, he's stepping back from it. And he's considering all that he has done. He said, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended doing it and watched this conclusion. And behold, all was vanity. Remember our word. All was puff a vapor. It was not permanent. It couldn't satisfy. It won't last. Somebody else will have it when I'm gone. Things like that. You'll see him say them. All was vanity and chasing the wind or striving after the wind. And there was, now remember our question in verse 3 of chapter 1. And he says, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here on this earth, just looking here, there's no lasting gain, profit, satisfaction. I'll read you that verse again in the Net Bible. Yet when I reflected on everything I had accomplished and on all the effort that I expended to accomplish it, I concluded all these achievements and possessions are ultimately profitless. Like chasing the wind, there is nothing gained from them here on earth. And remember, we're talking about eternal gain. We're talking about unchanging gain. We're talking about things that last and take us beyond this life. There's nothing like that here. Nothing that is not... Including you. If you chase satisfaction, joy, and happiness here, you might as well go out there and chase the wind around. It will end in disappointment. The wisest guy who ever lived, the richest guy who ever lived, investigated it all, and that's what he tells us. What's our application? Stop believing a fallen world. It's lying to you. It's luring you. When I go fishing, I put very tasty bait out there. But you know what? There's a hook in it. When that fish bites it, he might have a moment of pleasure, but set the hook. He's dinner. You hear things like you, go on, you only go around once. Grab all the gusto you can get. That's an old beer commercial. Again, I'm dating myself. It's a puff. He who dies with the most toys wins. No, they pass on to someone else. You hear the story about the rich man who told his wife he had a lot of money. And he told his wife, when you bury me, when I die, bury my money with me. And at the funeral, she walked up to the casket and she placed something in the casket. And when the funeral was over, her friend knew about that and she said, Well, did you do it? And she said, Yep, I did it. I wrote him a check. (laughs) Somebody else is going to have it, even if you accumulate it all. Listen, guys, wives are smart, they will outsmart us all over the place. Be careful. The world tells you that the real successes are people who are, who are the ones with big houses and bank accounts and travel and power. And you know what it is? Puff, puff, puff. Even a lot of preachers today, God wants you to be rich. Change the channel. Because they're focusing you on the puff. And if you are rich, no guilt, but responsibility. Use it well. Be generous. Use it for God's glory. Fund His kingdom. But those who desire to be rich fall into all sorts of temptations and snares, Paul says. If preachers are constantly focusing on you and your breakthrough being around the corner and how you can get more, especially by giving something to them, please run for your life. If preachers never mention hell, condemnation, sin, judgment, They're not preaching the gospel. Run for your life. It might fill up big stadiums, but you will be prancing and enjoying your way to the gates of hell if you listen to them because they're gospel-less. You might get mad at me and never come back, and I'm not claiming to preach the gospel perfectly, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. Here's a real success. How about this? A poor widow who lives on daily bread but who loves Jesus and her neighbor and her brothers and sisters and spends much time in prayer, in the Word. In other words, she trusts and follows Jesus. She's more successful than Donald Trump or anybody else who's just in it for the bucks. And I don't know if he is. I don't know. I, I trigger people. You mention that name. People get all triggered and forget what you're saying. He's, he's just a guy, okay? He is a president. And We'll talk about that another time. What is success? It's working hard, yes. It's providing, yes. But don't tie your heart and your happiness and your satisfaction here. Find a better investment for your treasure. You know where that is? The bank of heaven. Storing treasure in heaven. Let me give us a few verses as we conclude. Matthew 6, 19-21, and I'll skip to 24. But this is Jesus. Don't believe me, believe Him. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That doesn't mean don't have stuff. It means you're not treasuring in them. You're stewarding them and using them for His glory. But your treasure's up there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How? By using them for Him and giving in all sorts of other ways. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. Why to do that, Jesus? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or mammon, which includes money and possessions. You cannot serve pleasure. And God. You cannot serve possessions and God. You cannot serve power and God. You serve God and use what He gives you for His glory. Many still don't believe Solomon. Many still don't believe Jesus. Many don't believe God. Many still think they would be happier with some of these things. Many still desire these things under the sun more than they desire God, more than they love His Word. That's idolatry. Our hearts are too tied here. We want to use God to get what we want. We don't want to trust and wait on God and treasure God. The cross is not enough for us. When we're focusing our heart here, can you imagine standing before Jesus on the cross and saying, Thank you, I appreciate it, but I need more? See, Christ came. Why did Jesus come? Because we've all broken God's law in thought, word, and deed. We deserve His condemnation. Outside of Christ, we would get His condemnation. Therefore, Christ came, God and man, the God-man, second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh and came and lived under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness. For the glory of God, His Father, for the good of His people, because that righteousness would be credited to us who believe. Why did Christ die on the cross? He took the condemnation we deserve. You deserve. If you don't think you deserve condemnation, see, that's the first step. You've got to believe the bad news for the gospel is good news. Christ took our hell on Himself on the cross and He drank that cup dry. He suffered for our sins. He was crucified for our sins when it says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to live, to die, to suffer, to be raised from the grave. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day proving it's all true. And on that basis God commands all people everywhere to repent and trust in Jesus. You have no hope of salvation outside of Jesus and you have all hope of salvation In him. And my question to you this morning, the most important question I'll ask you is Are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation? I hope the answer is yes. You have heard the gospel. God commands you to believe it and to repent and to trust Jesus. Stop wasting time. Call upon Christ and be saved. Or live for this world and grab all the gusto you can get because this is as good as it'll get for you if you're not trusting in Jesus. But I have a better idea, and especially for us who have come to faith in Christ. This has challenged me this week. What if we all took Jesus seriously? What if we all lived as though He really took hell for us on the cross? What if we all lived really like He is Lord? And He is our treasure? And that, what if we lived like the Bible is true? It is. What if it could be said of us like it was said of the early church? They were devoted to Bible study, worship, prayer, fellowship, and the mission of the gospel. What if what was most important in their lives was not their children's schedules? Especially on the Lord's Day. And just parents, this is not aimed at parents, it's aimed at all of us. What if we raised our kids to believe the gospel like this? Jesus is Lord. Jesus did die for our sin. His Word is true and we are devoted to it. Serious about digging into His Word. Serious about fellowship with one another. Serious about worship. I'll pause right now. I'm in a heck of a mood this morning. I love every one of you who are watching the live stream. And some of you, this may be the only option. Some of you are not comfortable coming back yet. No guilt for that. Some of you are in health categories and there's no guilt for that. But if you are sitting in your underwear watching worship, just because it's easier, you need to repent and get your tail into worship. Because live stream was never designed to make you sit at home and think you're worshiping God. Now, there's special grace for those of you who need it. But if it's just easier, you need to repent of that. In other words, what if we lived like the gospel is true? And like it's the best news we ever heard. What if we lived lives of devotion because we love Jesus and are grateful to Him for sacrificing Himself for us? What if we quit playing? And we did it all out of love and gratitude for Christ for taking hell for us. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Casual Christianity is not going to get you through what's coming in America and what's coming in this world. These trials and struggles we're going through are revealing a lot of things in a lot of hearts. But God's doing it to prune us and gather us and strengthen us so that we can walk by faith and not by sight and not just make it through, but thrive through what's coming. If you're going to just have Jesus be part of your plan, you're not going to make it. If the world is more important and the things of the world, you don't even have it. Solomon wants to shake us. I want to shake us. I want to shake me. You say you're not a hellfire and damnation preacher. Well, I am today. As Anthony Evans said. Because I want us, I want me, I want us to take Jesus seriously, seriously the way He's worthy of, seriously the way He deserves. Seriously, because of His love for us. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Watch this. A lot of the application you just going to have to do on your own. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Solomon says, I tried that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. You could categorize all these sins that Solomon is mentioning in this way, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life or lifestyle is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. world is lying to you. Your flesh is lying to you. The devil is certainly lying to you. Some of you have been taken captive in some sins. There's freedom in Christ if you'll pursue it His way. And His way is trust, delight, and commit. Psalm 37, 3-5. I'll quit with this Scripture. A couple other words. Look at how, how the Lord tells us to address life. Trust in the Lord and do good. Be responsible. Be good servants. Be good stewards. Pursue His glory. If He gives you a lot, honor Him with it. If He gives you a little, trust Him for the next. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now here's delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, not here. And He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't say He will give you what your heart desires. He will change your heart. To desire what honors Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now watch, commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will act. This is what Jesus was saying when He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. So trust in God, delight in God, commit to God. The kind of submission God is looking for, is a submission that flows out of satisfaction in Him. Delight in Him. Trust in Him. Not out of fear of being condemned. Not out of trying to make ourselves better. Not slavish fear. But true fear of God. Love and awe and honor and reverence of Him. Trust in Him. Delight in Him. Commit your way to Him. Repent today of seeking satisfaction here. Look up. Trust and rest in your Savior. See, the answer is to live a God-centered life instead of a self-centered life. Instead of a convenient life. Instead of an easy life. Certainly not a this world-centered life, but a God-centered life. The answer is repentance and faith, always. The answer is for us to get off the throne of our life and give Jesus His rightful place. Sam used an illustration in the Wednesday night Bible study one night. I just can't forget. So when we, before we, when we come to Christ, we're on the throne of our lives and Christ is on the cross. We're sitting on the throne. We've made all sorts of mess of it. We see our, and Christ is crucified for us. And when we get saved, it, he said, that should switch. Christ goes on the throne and we go on the cross. Dying to self and living, dying to the world, the flesh, and the devil and living on. Unto him. Give Jesus his rightful place. See, suicide is not the answer for your struggle or leaving your marriage or whatever else you're tempted to do, thinking it'll be better somewhere else. Suicide is not the answer, salvation is. Suicide only makes things worse, especially if you're not a believer. You don't want to face God on your own and answer for your sins. Look to your Maker. Believe His Word. Rest in His grace. Make Him your treasure and hope. The cross and the resurrection prove that He will always give you everything you need. And that He always has your best in mind. His glory is your good. Believe that. Believe Jesus. Love and be grateful to Him. Rest in His grace live for his glory he is the ultimate eternal reality he is the only foundation for hope joy and satisfaction receive and rest in his grace and live for his glory today to live is christ let's pray lord this is not just a hard life to live for us it is impossible you must grant repentance you must grant faith and we must look to you for strength. But I pray that today would be a day of a leap of growth for all of us, that we would for once and once and for all stop listening to the world, our flesh, the devil, and believe you and treasure you. Help us to believe Solomon because Solomon's words here are your words. This is part of your word and you are warning us of danger. Help us to believe you. And to set our hearts above the sun. Lord, I don't know if anybody who's listening to this over the live stream or over the recording or who's here with us in the building has even pondered suicide. But maybe somebody needed to hear that. But even if if not, Lord, deliver us from ever thinking that way. And if anyone's thinking that way, deliver them from that. If If they're willing to do that, they're willing to give up all. So just help them be willing to give up all for you. To come to faith in you and trust and and rest in you. Jesus, please help us to love you. Because we get your grace. That you lived a life of humiliation for us. Keeping your own law because we had broken it. That you died on the cross satisfying justice and paying the penalty for our sin. You took eternal hell for us and you could drink that cup dry because you were God and man. You went through the grave. You were under the power of death for a time, and you were raised from the grave on the third day, and you are reigning, and you are coming again someday. Help those who don't know you to repent and trust you. Help those of us who do know you to repent and trust you on a daily basis. Tune our hearts so that We get off the throne of our lives and allow you your rightful place so that we stop being our treasure and you start being our treasure. Help us to be growing and being able to honestly say like we sang today, I desire no other. I'm satisfied in you alone. Help us, Lord. Save and sanctify us, Lord. Build your church and your kingdom. This is your work and we trust you to do it.